If you would please turn in your Bibles to uh, the first epistle of Peter. We are going to get back to Titus very, very soon. But in light of um, our uh, bringing two new men on and what Peter says here in the scriptures, things that we need to, I think, take into consideration always. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Let's listen as we hear the word of God read. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, and knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. I ask you to pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would hear us. We pray that you would make this time profitable. I ask you, O Lord, to be with me as I preach, to recall the things that I've studied, to recall the things that I've written, to preach, O God, with great passion. And as this very important text, as we talk about our great nemesis, we ask you to be with the congregation as they hear it. Keep them, Lord, from having divided interest. Keep them from having wandering minds. Pray that they would hear and that you would apply the word to us in Christ's name. Amen. Children like to play make-believe. When I was growing up, we'd often say, let's play like, or let's play this, or let's pretend we're soldiers, let's pretend we're in space, or something like that. And uh, as my children were growing up, I'd love to play those same kind of games with them, and it was always fun. And when our children play games, and when they do use their imaginations, what they know is the difference in reality and make-believe. In the spiritual world, we have to recognize as well the reality, the difference between reality and make-believe. Many people deny the existence of Satan. Some even in the church would deny the existence of Satan. In his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, he says this in the seventh chapter, of the seventh letter. Uh, it's letters written from uh, uh, the screw, Screwtape, who's the uncle, to his nephew, who's Wormwood, and they're trying to get this man to basically get him in hell. And so his uncle's given him advice uh, along the way. And if you want to know what happens, the man's finally converted. He marries a Christian. He's finally converted. And uh, bad things fall upon uh, Wormwood. He doesn't get his job accomplished. But in chapter, in the seventh letter, he tells him this. Let them think you're not real. Let them think you do not exist. You see, we do not want him to know that we are there and what we are doing. It's better if they don't believe that we exist. Well, why is that? 
if you grasp the reality that there is an evil force and he is called Satan or he is called the devil, whatever the case may happen to be, that he does tempt us, that he does seek to snare us, he does seek to cause us to fall. And as well as the minions that follow him, uh, the demons that exist, it's interesting that people have more interest in demonology than they do Christology. It doesn't make any sense. Why? People are more fascinated with demonic influence than they are with Christ. It makes no sense at all. So here the reality of the evil one. So I would ask you this morning is, do you believe in the reality of Satan? And what difference does it make in your life? You realize that you're in a battle with him, that he would have you fall, that he would have you come to ruin. And so many times we're willing to give him a hand in it by falling into lawlessness and being engaged in lawlessness and not repenting. And he laughs and he licks his lips and he loves it as we fall into sin. And we do his bidding. This morning would have us to see this, that because Satan continually seeks to thwart the purposes of God by tempting his people. As believers, we need to know we must continually be on guard as temptation will come your way. And listen to this. You don't have to sin. You will sin. But when you're confronted with a situation, you can make up your mind to be obedient. It says in the scriptures, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. And the Lord is faithful to provide a means of escape. So don't say that, well, I just couldn't help it. Sure you can. You most certainly can. I want to think about that this morning. Three things, the reality of the devil's existence, the reality of the devil's efforts, and the reality of the devil's expiry. That is, expires. The devil expires at one point. That is, he has no rule over us, no authority over us. And we're going to talk about how to deal with that in just a minute. Well, first thing, the reality of the devil's existence. Uh, some people think that he is a story of folklore. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, when uh, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, it was a dream she had. It was a nightmare. And she put it into the form of that book. They were telling stories. She and uh, I think his name was Lord Bear and the other couple that were there, ghost stories. And so she went to sleep. And she had this dream, and she wrote it into a book, and the title of that book is Frankenstein. Some people think it's just an expression of the world of the macabre, and that it is an expression of allegory in the Bible. That there is no real personality that we fall to his prey, or fall to pray to him because uh, of his power, and that he exists and he is real. Well, if you believe that, you're out of accord with the scriptures. If you believe he doesn't exist, you're out of accord with the Bible. Listen to what is written. He first appears in Genesis 3, the text that Charles, Charles read, not Charlie, Charles read this morning. Uh, that he first appears in the Garden of Eden. There he is instrumental in the fall of the race. Uh, in First Chronicles 21.1, it says this, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. The problem with this was it was an expression of David's arrogance and pride. Listen to what happens in 1 Chronicles First uh, Chronicles 21.7, but God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. He brought a judgment upon the nation of Israel because of the sin of King David. The name Satan is used 18 times in the book of Job. Uh, he is mentioned six times in the book of Zechariah. Thirty-four times he is referred to in the New Testament by the name Devil, and Satan is used 35 times in the New Testament. 
The Bible certainly expresses his existence and the reality of his existence. And if you don't recognize that and aren't aware of that, uh, it's like you have an enemy and you're not prepared for him at all. Well, he tells us here in the text how we do seek to meet him. Uh, If you can ignore the reality of a deadly disease, if you do that, what's going to happen? It is going to get the best of you. If you ignore the reality that Satan comes to us and he tempts us and we simply give in to it, it is that you're not prepared for the battle. Now, we know that we have sin that does rest within us anyway. Every one of us has sin that resides within us. And we play with it. If you play with sin, you're going to get burned. Plain and simple, you're going to get burned. And so here we realize that we have within us that remnant of sin. We have within us the ability to fall. And we have within us one who comes along beside us and encourages us in that rebellion. Concerning the origins of Satan, uh, Charles uh, talked about that. He is created angel. He was created by God. He's one of God's heavenly uh, creatures. He was created perfectly holy, but mutable. He was created without sin. Listen to Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mounts of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heavens of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then again in Ezekiel 28, uh, 12 through 14. A son of man, rise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone and your coverings, um, Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, is jasper, uh, sapphire, emerald, and a carbuncle. And crafted the gold where you were sitting on your engravings on that day that you were uh, created, you were, and you're uh, prepared, uh, and you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were there in the holy mountains of God, in the in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. Well, a lot of people say that this is simply a reference to the king of Babylon and to the king of Tyre. And yet, if we read it and think about it, uh, the view falls short because it ignores the fact that these prophecies are transcendent. And they can't not really describe any earthly ruler. I think it is a reference to Satan. And if we look back uh, in Daniel chapter 10, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was there with the kings of Persia. This is an angel talking to Daniel. What he says here is, I was going uh, to, uh, to Persia, and some demonic being stood against him to keep him from doing what he was going to do. And so he says here that Gabriel came to help him. Who was this uh, uh, angel? I don't know. Maybe, maybe perhaps Michael. I don't know. It doesn't tell us in the text. The simple fact is that Satan is real, and he has a lot of power. And here he was involved with destruction to, by his influence, a kingdom of Persia. So in Revelation 12, 3 and 4, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven uh, diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And I think this is a reference to the fall of Satan. He took a third of the congregation, if you will, a third of the population of angels with him. Those are the demons. 
if you want to know why there's evil in the world, it is because of the fall and because it is infested with the evil one. So the origin of Satan created, he rebelled, and he is the nemesis of God. Well, then uh, uh, the reality of the devil's efforts. He is called our adversary. He is an enemy of Christ. Listen to this. Every time you do his bidding, you are pitting yourself against the Savior. Every time you give in to temptation, you are pitting yourself against the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. You remember in Matthew 2 when Christ was born and how uh, Herod had all boys two years and younger, uh, younger killed. They're the evil one trying to uh, do away with the Lord's anointed one. And, and, you know, and Herod was responsible for what he did. He was responsible for this tragedy, this travesty of committing murder, mass murder, genocide. And yet there behind the scenes was the evil one orchestrating Influencing, given support in whatever way he possibly could. He is an enemy of Christ. He is also an enemy of every Christian. You know, you have to take this seriously. You have to recognize the fact that the devil's real and that he does come our way and he does tempt us. And so do his minions that he has. He often comes as angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, distinguishing themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What he's saying here is there were men in the church, they're teaching, but they're teaching false doctrine. And he said, no wonder, even Satan comes as as an angel of light. And so as these men are teaching, what they're saying, what they're giving to the people is attractive. One of the biggest churches in our nation doesn't give out the gospel. I've heard him. I've heard him preach. And there's no gospel there. But he's fun to listen to. He's nice to hear him talk. But the gospel simply is not there. An angel of light. False prophets in the church. In the assembly where the gospel is missing, there's no point in going to that church. There's no point in worshiping there. As a matter of fact, it's detrimental to your soul. If the gospel is missing from the church, it's not the church. It is as Christ is preached and the gospel is delivered that there we are empowered to do battle against the evil one. He comes to us and he tells us as he whispers in our ear, you don't need to worry about this particular thing that you're doing this wrong. It makes you happy. You deserve to be happy. I know of a man who was going into the ministry. And he, um, Christmas Eve, he got a phone call from his girlfriend. And his wife picked up the other line and was listening in on the line. And he said this to her, I was going to wait and leave after Christmas, but I'll go ahead and go now. I deserve to be happy. A lot of foolish mistakes have been made because we want to be happy rather than holy. So here, this one, listening to the deceitfulness of his own heart and the deceitfulness of the things that come from the evil one, he committed a great sin. Satan does not let us know that everything that comes from him 
has hooks in it. Everything that comes from him has poison in it. A lot of very foolish, wicked decisions have been made because someone desired to be happy. That's expressions of selfishness and self-centeredness and a hard heart. So the deceitfulness of Satan. He deceives us even as he deceived Eve when he said, You shall not surely die, but you shall be like God and be wise. Think back at the times. You can all do this. When you've committed some sin. Every one of us can do that. If you're a Christian, what are the consequences of it? Guilt. Repercussions that turned out to be horrible. And there is um, accountability if we, bring a, if we sin against the Lord. You may get away with it for a while. But sooner or later, if you're God's child, he's going to stop it. He's not going to let you continue on. Somehow and in some way, he's going to stop it. Because he is greater than Satan, greater than the evil one. Well, and this one then is active. Uh, he is uh, uh, always at work to deceive us. But there comes a point when his efforts come to uh, ruin. He expires, if you will. And so here in the text, Peter tells us to be wise. To be wise in the, in the ways of saying, if you're doing something and you can ask yourself, is this pleasing to God? Uh, is this something that God approves of? And if it's not and you know it's not, why continue on in it? If you know it's not, that's sinning with a high hand against the Lord, as Ken put it one time in his sermon. So Peter tells us here, recognize this, you are going to be tempted. So you are to be wise in your ways that Satan is here. You are to be sober-minded, he says. Not infantile. Realize this, that you are going to face temptations. It's going to come. You're going to face the temptation to do things that perhaps are very wrong. And what we often do is rationalize it away as to why this is something we need to be doing. There's the blindness, you see, that comes in when we are not doing our proper duty to struggle against sin and to be sober in our thinking. We are to watch. We are to be awake. Remember what happened to the disciples as they were in the garden. Christ said, will you watch with me? In other words, will you be awake and pray for me and pray with me? And you know what the disciples did. They went to sleep. Christ comes back, finds them sleeping. We go, Can't you pray with them? Watch them leave for an hour. He goes away. They fall asleep again. Finally comes back the third time, and they are asleep, and he wakes them up. You remember the confidence the disciples had before this happened? Peter said, I will never, ever deny you. I know I won't. You can count on me. I will not do it. And what happened? He did. Exactly as Christ told him he would do. We know you have to know your weaknesses. You have to know the places in your life where you struggle. You have to know that. Whatever it may happen to be, you have to know it. And you have to be on guard against being tempted and falling. If a man is impatient with his wife, and he knows he's impatient at times, rude to his wife. You recognize that, that it's wrong. It's just wrong. 
And God doesn't like it. And so he sees this in his life and he has to work on it. He pray about it. He strive to be gentle. He strive to be kind. Uh, does God care how you treat your wife? Absolutely, he cares how you treat your wife. And so you have to know the weaknesses in your life and you avoid them. If you're going to a party where there's going to be drinking, and you know you can't drink one or two drinks, you drink a bottle. You don't go. You don't go. If there's somebody there that you always have trouble with one way or another, and you know that trouble is going to come again, you don't go. That's what it is to be alert. That's what it is to watch, to know your limitations, and to seek to avoid them. We must strive against Satan. We must stand against Satan again and again. And recognize what James says in James chapter 1 and 13 through 15. We'll look at that just a minute. James chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Listen to what James writes here. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from, the, comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And listen to this verse. Uh, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of, of, of a creatures. Let no one say when he is being tempted, he is being tempted by God, for God does not tempt anyone. But everyone is being led away by their own desires. And so when we do that, we sin against the Lord. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So we recognize that remnant of sin that is within us. As I said a moment ago, uh, we can do his work for him uh, as we fail to stand to guard against him. Listen to what is said here. Uh, we can't say... That all solicitation to sin is from Satan. Some of it comes from our own heart. But we can say this. And it is in opposition to the revealed will of God. And it is in, in uh, agreement with the will of Satan. It is in opposition to the revealed will of God and in agreement with the desires of Satan. Every sin is. Every sin that we commit. And you know what happens if you begin to make a habit of it? If you begin to get comfortable with it, you become calloused. You don't deal with it anymore. It's a part of who you are. And so we develop habits that are wicked. You remember Suzanne used to tell the story of the camel that was in the storm, a sandstorm outside, but he wants to put his nose, just his nose into the tent. And before long, he's, the entirety of the camel is in the tent. And her pastor, Philip, used to say, stop beginnings. So we say to ourselves, just this one time, just this once, that's all. Then I won't do it again. And there, the evil one saying to you, you can do it just once. You, you, just one time's all. And God's a forgiving God. He'll forgive you. Just try it. Just experience once and see what it's like. And so we give way to it. And then we say, just one more time. Just once more. That's all. 
I won't let it take hold of me. Just one more time. And we do it again. And we do it again. And we do it again. And again, it becomes a part of who we are. Satan, temptations are realities in the life of the Christian. And unless you really are understanding that this temptation is going to come to me, I'm going to be tempted, but I do not have to give in to it. Now, when you're driving your car on 16, you get angry with the flash, you know. That's not really premeditated sin. It is sin. It's an expression of sin, but it just kind of comes out sometimes. You know, we can understand driving in the city why, why that happens at times. But what we're talking about is calculated lawlessness, premeditated lawlessness that we plot and we scheme because we want to do this that's wrong. There have been in the life of the church many churches that were ruined because of lawlessness in the church. I know of a church where the pastor had an affair with a woman four years. Four years. It finally came out. He was gone. But it tore the church apart. They had a long time before they could really get patched up and get things back together. See, sin doesn't just hurt yourself. It hurts other people. Sins like that do. They hurt others as well. Here at, in the um, next portion of First Peter, if I may read that to you. Uh, he says this. Uh, Resist him, firming your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. Well, how do we stand against Satan? It's by exercising our faith. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible speaks to your life? Do you believe that when you are tempted in some area, you can bring a scripture in and find help in that word? Well, you can. Let's say that you think God doesn't love me here. I would not be experiencing this if God loved me. This would not be happening to me if God loved me. And you go to uh, John 3, 15, uh, for God so, 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can you dare say God doesn't love you? When it's plain that he does because of what he's done for you, that is by giving Christ to die for you, how can you possibly say God doesn't love me? And we also most wonder sometimes if we're not trying to manipulate God by telling him he doesn't love me, doesn't, you don't love me, and hopes you don't change your circumstances. Oh, I do love you. After all, you see, I do love you. And I want you to be happy. No. So we bring the word of God to bear upon our lives, and we find encouragement from it by bringing scriptures. That's one reason I want you all to memorize these scripture texts. I, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do it. I'm afraid some of you don't try. And I know we get busy during the week and things happen. But the text in, in Ecclesiastes is so rich. The, the end of the chapter, 12th chapter, is the conclusion. As he's been looking at the world again as if God does not exist. And he finally reaches this conclusion. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every good deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So it is by our faith, you see, that we incorporate our faith and belief in God. And if, you know, if we have struggles in belief, the, the gospel is very, 
very logical. It's very, very solid. The heavens declared the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. But also, again, had Christ not been raised from the dead, there would be no church. Now, people are not going to go out and die for a lie. And the disciples died. Many of them did. Paul was beheaded. You know, in 2 2 Timothy, the last book that he wrote, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. So Paul was convinced of the reality of the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. Either that he was a fool if, if he didn't believe it. So when we are tempted to not trust, tempted to find ourselves doubting, then we go to God in prayer. We ask him and we meditate on the scriptures. And the tomb was empty. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's the foundation of the church. And the last thing he tells him here is that um, the others in the world are suffering as well. Um, uh, again, verse 9, uh, suffering, uh, the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Why does Paul say that? I mean, why does Peter say that? Why does Peter put that here? Well, to know that you're not alone in your sufferings, in your trials, whatever the case may happen to be. You're not alone. Uh, they would feel perhaps sufferings was uh, something that God was especially upset with them or especially angry with them if they're suffering something. Yet, he says here, they're suffering all over the world. I heard that uh, in Afghanistan... They are going door to door and finding Christians and trying and they're killing them. A horrible thing. Is God mad at those Christians? No. He's not. Why does that happen? I don't know. God knows. I don't know. We know ultimately it's going to bring glory to God. We know that. And as we think about the bravery of those people, second be that brave as well by God's grace. So they're not alone. Also, a fact that others were enabled to bear up under trials should be an argument to prove that you should be able to bear up under trials as well. God was with them. He will also be with me. And there should be a support derived from the fact that you're not alone in your sufferings. You know, in the church... Uh, if you've been through an experience and it was a trial and it was hard for you and someone else is going through the same thing, you're able to minister to those people. You're able to encourage those people in your life. Well, we are uh, this evening going to ordain two men to uh, the office of deacon. As they become ordained, they take vows. A lot of times people do not take their vows seriously. In marriage, when your child is ordained, I mean baptized, not ordained when your child is baptized, you take vows. Do you promise to raise this child up in the nurture and uh, knowledge of the Lord? Yes, I do. Uh, do you promise to set before him a good example? Oh, yes, I do. When you join the church, do you promise to support the church to the best of your ability? Oh, yes, I do. And perhaps we should be answering, yes, sir, I do, you know. Because it comes in time that it seems like we don't take our vows seriously. When we become officers, they're going to take vows tonight. They're going to promise to be faithful to their calling, faithful to their work. And God notices. 
He's aware. Because when you take vows, you're not simply taking them before the congregation. Again, you were taking them before the Lord. So recognize we are called as Christians to be holy. Recognized also that we are going to be tempted again and again from the evil one. We have to be aware. We have to be alert. And think about this. What sins are in your life that you justify? It's right for me to feel this way. It's right for me to do this. I'm justified in it. When all the while you're not. There is no justification for sin. None whatsoever. And Satan is always, as Peter says here, going around as, as a lion. He never rests. He's looking for someone to devour. Nothing would make him happier, listen to this, than for you to see your marriage ruined, to see you lose confidence in the gospel, to see you become a church member that is unhappy, and you want other people to be unhappy with you, a church member that has embraced some type of heresy, and you're trying to teach it to other people. As someone in the church one time trying to teach the Old Testament dietary laws had to be observed today. In this Genesis diet, we're all supposed to do this Genesis diet. That's nowhere in the Bible. There was a church in South Carolina where you had people that would not eat sugar, so they had their own table when it came to suppers. And it came so divided, it became a problem in the church. And there they are thinking, what I'm doing is right. I'm concerned about my health, you say. And they are causing division in the church because of sugar. They could bypass something. They don't have to make an issue of it. And there again, the work of the evil one. And he would have us to be unsettled in the church. We have to look out for him. We have to be aware of him. And the best thing that we can do is pray. Seek God's help. Recognize the sin. Seek God's help for it. And be aware that you're going to be tempted and be on guard for it. Let's pray.